Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Last week we talked about Deuteronomy and one of the, to my view, sub-themes of that book that might be a little bit um, surprising to some of us, but is joy. What does it mean to rejoice? God is making provision for his people to rejoice. And tonight we're going to talk about the book of Joshua and another one of the themes of this book that we have just recently dived into together in our Old Testament Bible reading. And one theme of the book of Joshua that I don't think will come as a surprise to you If you know the first chapter of the book of Joshua, God lays out one of the fundamental themes for the entire book right in the first chapter. Look with me at verse 1, the very beginning of Joshua chapter 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead, Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. So where were they? On the eastern side of Jordan. The promised land was predominantly on the western side of Jordan, though, as we've read, some piece of it was given to uh, a part of the Israelites on the east side. Go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, into the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, So I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. I suspect if you were to read those first verses, you would say with me, one of the key themes of the entire book of Joshua is courage. Be strong and of a good courage. God repeats it again. Be strong and very courageous. Have not I commanded thee? God says it a third time in verse number nine. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. And then as if to emphasize this command, he says, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Courage Fear. And if Joshua is going to carry out his leadership function for the people of Israel, stepping in, if you will, to very large shoes, the shoes of Moses, the man of God, he's going to need courage. And my simple premise tonight is that you are going to need courage too. You need courage every day in the battles, the callings, the tasks that God has called on you to carry out. Your great enemy to courage is fear. 
And the great prescription for courage, the great giver of courage, what we're going to see is faith. And what I want to do tonight is I want to take this short snapshot in the book of Joshua and then apply it to repeated reminders that God gives Joshua not to be afraid in future chapters of the book. We're just going to go at a lightning speed, at a 50,000-foot view, on three different circumstances that Joshua needed to apply what he learned in Joshua 1 to fight particular battles before him. And my hope tonight is that whatever you're facing today, whatever tasks, whatever battles, whatever struggles you're involved in today, you will hear God's word to you saying, be strong and of a good courage. Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. The title of the message tonight is simply, when courage is needed. When courage is needed. And I hope tonight we're going to see some practical circumstances in our life in which we are going to need courage. Let's start, first of all, just with a very brief exposition of Joshua 1. Again, we always want to make sure we understand the passage we're in before we can begin applying it correctly to our own lives. So let's start with this passage and let's understand, first of all, a command, the command, the central command that God is giving to Joshua. Now, what's the context here? What is going on? Well, God tells him in verse 1, Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister. So Joshua had been, as you know, Moses' right-hand man. He had had his own kind of communion and fellowship with God and with God's leader, Moses. And now Moses has died. And God tells him, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon... Even under the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. Now, <clears throat> what is going on here? Well, the context is, they are on, of course, the east side of Jordan. They have not yet crossed the Jordan River to get to the bulk of their inheritance. They have a massive task in front of them. You're going to have to undertake an enormous military conquest of the entire land of Canaan. Now, that's not only what God had told them could be theirs. Notice what he says here. From the wilderness and this Lebanon. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about to the northernmost reaches of Israel into Lebanon. Then he says, the, on, even under the great river, the river Euphrates. The river Euphrates is that e, uh, river, great river to the east that runs through modern day what? Iraq. We're talking about a massive territory there. We're not just thinking Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. He says from the east to the river Euphrates, from the west, he says to the great sea. What do you think the great sea is on the western side of Israel? The Mediterranean Sea. So to the Mediterranean, and then on the south, the wilderness. 
So from the wilderness in the south, the wilderness of Arabia, all the way up to the mountains of Lebanon, all the way from the east to Euphrates in modern-day Iraq, all the way to the west to the Mediterranean. God said, that is in front of you. I've given it to you. Now Joshua must be thinking, that's a lot. And of course, it was. Now, what was the problem? There was a tremendous amount of work to do, and Moses wasn't around for it. Now, that would have required at least two thoughts for Joshua. Number one, Moses was the lawgiver. Moses was the one who had heard God's voice and said, this is what I want you to do. Moses was the judge. Moses was the one who would tell them, this is what God wants you to do in this particular situation. He was everything to them. And now he's gone. Now, remember what God tells Joshua. Be strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or the left. So there was a moral component. Moses, the lawgiver, was dead. But not only that, Moses, the agent of God's miraculous power, was dead. Remember Moses holding his hands up? And as long as his hands were up and being supported, a military conquest was happening among the Israelites. The rod of Moses that was used, uh, that he held out over the Red Sea. All these examples of great divine power. And now he's dead. And yet the task hasn't shrunk. So Joshua is stepping into these massive shoes of the moral lawgiver and the divine, if you will, agent of God's power, channel of God's power. There's an incredible amount of work to do. And this is why the message that God is giving to Joshua is simply this. You have to be strong and courageous. Notice verse 6. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. So God is saying there's a great task to do. Moses is gone, and it's your job. You do it. You divide the land up by inheritance. I've told you to do it. Now, Joshua at that point, like any of us normal human beings, would have been said, who, me? Who, me? And this is exactly what God is reinforcing to him. He repeats it three different times in a span of four verses. Verse 6, verse 7, verse 9. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and of a good courage. Now, what does it mean to be courageous? If you were to look it up in the dictionary, here's a definition that I pulled. The quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, etc., without fear. I'll read that again. The quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, etc., without fear. Now you see how that ties in here. Joshua has an incredible task ahead of him of great difficulty, of great danger, of immense amounts of fortitude required. And God says to him, you're the one to do it. Now what does he need? Be strong and be courageous. One commentator says that the first of these two is, is like picturing the hands holding fast to something. And the second of these commands, be courageous, is, is signifying the knees standing locked and firm. Like you're holding on to something and not letting it go. Be strong. And your knees are locked and you're standing stable. You're not moving. You are utterly stable in the commands of God. 
Now, that's what we need. That's what we need. You remember Ephesians chapter 6? When Paul is giving his protege, his his mentee, um, uh, 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 Timothy, his instructions. And what does he say to them? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong. And then what does he tell them to do? Stand. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. So he's saying be strong and stand firm. This is the same kind of idea that God is giving to Joshua in the tasks that he has been called to do. Now I want us to see not just the command, but notice then the contrast. What is God saying? Notice in verse 9, he says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. So what he's saying clearly is, be courageous, don't be afraid. Be strong, don't be dismayed. So these are opposites. These are contrasts. Courage is contrasted with being dismayed, and fear is contrasted with being strong. Now, in what way? In what way? This is something I think that is important. The word here, to afraid, to be afraid, means literally to tremble. It has the idea of dread or awe, kind of like you're weakened in a particular state. You're maybe out of balance. You are struggling. To be dismayed means literally to be prostrate. It means, it could mean to beat down, to be broken, to beat down to the, to the point of being broken. So again, think of these two pictures, right? On the one hand, being afraid is trembling, it's weakness. And on the other hand, being dismayed is like you've been knocked down, you're flat on your face, and you don't even feel like getting up. Don't be afraid, he says, and don't be dismayed. Now, why would he be afraid? What would be the problem? Well, of course, we've already covered that, right? Because he's got huge enemies in front of him. Because he's got a moral law to uphold, not only for himself, but for the people of God, for Israel. He, God says, you be strong and courageous so that you'll obey everything that I told you. By the way, do you know that obeying God and following his moral law requires great courage? It requires great courage because so much of our inner motives, our inner desires is to be against it, that it requires a kind of moral stability and strength. And Joshua here is facing this task and he is recognizing a significant need for courage. Now again, I just want to picture this for just a minute. I've been working out recently with Kyle and uh, he's been putting me through my paces, leaving me sore the next day and for days after that. And one of the things that I've noticed we've been working on is strength in balance. And so we'll, be, we'll do these things and he'll put like a, um, uh, a little uh, pad that's squishy on the floor and I'll have to balance on one foot on it like this and he'll throw me things and try to get me off balance and do these workouts. 
We, we did something the other day, um, actually just yesterday when we were doing, he st- put a stretchy band and I had to get on it and do push-ups on it. And I noticed my arms were just shaking. They were just trembling. I had no balance. And here I'm trying to do these things and my arms are just shaking. Now, when I'm in that position of imbalance, right, it's like I'm trembling. I'm doing everything I can just to stay upright, If anyone were to come and push me, I would be in no position to fight, to be stable. And so the picture here is that when we're afraid, it's like we're out of balance. It's like we're on one foot. We have no steady position to be in. Have you ever been there when you're afraid? Of course. We experience that fear in a variety of different ways. We're trembling. We're out of balance. Now, when you come to that position of being afraid, what do you need? What do I need to get back in balance? I need the right foundation. When I have the right foundation, I'm back on balance. I'm no longer on a, balancing on one foot on a squishy pad. I'm standing on the ground two feet. Now I'm ready. I'm strong again. You see, when we're in, in a position where we need courage, we need to choose courage and reject fear. What we don't just need to do is grit our teeth. Like, oh, I just need to get a little more courageous. That's not it. Any more than I could just say, muscles, stand firm when I'm balancing on a squishy pet. They're going to say, sorry, you try it. You try it. There's nothing you can do. It would be like this. If my child, as I'm in that period right now where there are monsters in the closet and there are wolves potentially coming in the window and up the stairs and there are all these fearful things at night and kids are always coming into the room to talk to us about that, imagine if they came into my room with one of their fears that is very vivid in front of them and I said, just be courageous. Just be, don't be afraid. They'd say, Dad, but I am afraid. I'm out of balance. I'm trembling. What do they need? They need their dad to say something like, I'm right here and I'm not going to let anything get you. They need to hear things like, you know what? All our doors are locked and I'll go check them again just so that you can see that. Whatever they need. In other words, they don't just need an encouragement. Try harder. They need a different foundation to stand on. And what God gives Joshua is not just a command, try harder. Don't be afraid by gritting your teeth and being courageous. He gives them the reason why he should be courageous. And notice two things that are are Joshua's foundation to reject fear. Start with verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. Just what I said to Moses, I have given to you in the present tense. It's already yours. You are already having what you need. Notice what he says in verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And then he goes on in verse 9. He said, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever there goes. Two things, two stabilizing foundations to to choose courage and reject fear. The first is this, what God has already given you. What your inheritance is in Christ. 
And the second thing is a personal relationship with the one who has all power. I will never leave you or forsake you. And the simple point I want to make is when Joshua was standing on those two legs, he was strong. And when you and I stand on those two promises to us, we are strong. What promises? The promises that everything that God has promised for you, he will bring it to pass. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There is a destination ahead of time that he has set out before us. If God before us, who can be against us? Or Hebrews 13, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. He has promised you an inheritance. He has already provided everything you need for victory in your spiritual life and in the tasks that he has given you to fulfill. And he has promised you his presence with you along every step of the way. And so when you and I are dealing with the instability of fear, like trying to balance on one leg, you need to get off that pad. Whatever you're standing on, whatever is the imbalance, whatever truth or, or truth you are rejecting and lies you are believing and you need to stand with both feet on the solid foundation of who God is and what he has promised to do for you. And guess what? When you stand by faith, you will be strong and you will be courageous. I remember what Jesus said to a man named Jairus in Mark chapter 5. Do you remember Jairus? He was the ruler of that synagogue and he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, my daughter is at home. She's at the point of death. And as Jesus is going toward his house, he's stopped by another person who needs a miracle. And then messengers come and they say, your daughter's already dead. And what does Jesus say to Jairus? He says, don't be afraid only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. And our need for courage and to reject fear is requiring us only to believe, only to believe. Go back to your stable, sure foundation and stand on that. It will, in the promise of God, by faith, give rise to the very courage that he commands. So notice here, the command, be strong and very courageous. The contrast is between either giving in to fear or standing firm on the foundation of faith. God is not telling you to do something that he hasn't given you the enablement to do. He's not holding out something before you that you have no hope of attaining. When he says be strong and courageous, it's because he's given you promises to do just that. And when you stand on them, you will have the courage and the strength that you need. And thirdly, what I want to do here for the remainder of our time is to look at the circumstances requiring courage. Because what I want us to see and what you should see as you keep on reading through the book of Joshua in our time here 
is how many times Joshua and the people of Israel needed to be reminded. How many times have you needed to be reminded, I shouldn't be afraid, I'm giving in to fear in a particular area of life. Even though you've heard sermons on fear for how many years? You you and I still need to be reminded, be courageous, stand in faith, don't let fear overwhelm you and knock you off balance. Now, I want to look at three particular circumstances in which Joshua needed to have this message given again to him as a reminder. The first one is in Joshua chapter 8. Turn over to Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8. Now, if you were to go back and look in your own time at Joshua chapter 7... It is the failure of Israel's battle with Ai. Now, Ai was not one of the major cities. Jericho was the great city that Israel has defeated in the first part of the book of Joshua. And now, if you'll remember, a man named Achan has defied God's command, disobeyed God's command, and taken of of things that God had forbidden the people of Israel to take. They had taken of the forbidden things. He had hid them in his tent. And now Israel all goes out to war against Ai, thinking this is going to be a walk in the park, and what happens? They suffer an immense defeat. A very, very sobering defeat because Israel wasn't used to this. God had said, I'm with you. I've got you. I'm not going to leave you. And now they come out before Ai and they're utterly scattered. And how does Israel respond to that defeat? Do you remember? What do they do? Joshua falls on his face and is utterly discouraged. He falls on his face and is crying out to God. And do you know what God says to him in Joshua chapter number 7? Get up off your face. Get up off your face. Now why does he tell him to get up off his face? He says, because Israel has sinned and you got to deal with it. And what happens? They deal with it. Now go ahead to this this confession in Joshua chapter 7. In verse number 20. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them. Literally, I desired them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. This was a story of Israel's failure, their corporate failure of obedience. By the way, can I just make a little note, almost by way of footnote here? This example, this confession that Achan gives is such a good example and illustration to us of how we fall, particularly in areas of the lusts of our flesh. I don't just mean sexual lust, though it could be sexual lust. It's anything in which our bodily cravings are at play. Notice what he says first in verse number 21. When I saw, when I saw. Now, you and I can't help many times what we see in the first instance. But notice what he says. Once I saw, when I saw, then I what? Then I coveted, then I desired. 
So what he went from what he saw to what the object of his desire, his craving, his coveting went to. And then what was the next step? Then I took them. You think of David up on a roof looking at a woman who was not his wife. He saw. At that point, he had a decision. Would he allow himself to continue looking and craving and coveting and desiring? And he did. And what was the next step? The next step was, who is that? Who is that woman? What was the next step after he allowed the craving to continue? Go take her. Go bring her to me. He took her. And then what did he do? What did, what did Achan of the last thing? He hid them. He hid them. He saw, he craved, he took, he hid. And if you could just see that progression of lust, again, we think of the word lust and think of it as sexual lust. It does not need to be any kind of desire, craving that I have that might be sin to me. It follows that progression. See, crave, take, hide. And do you know what God's people need to do? They need to have the wisdom to cut it off at seeing. And if it gets from seeing to craving, they need to cut it off there and not take. And you know what they need to do if it gets to taking? They need not to hide it. They need to come to the light. Cut off the progression of see, covet, take, hide. And Achan failed. It was a moral failure that was a corporate failure that would affect all of them. Now, what I want to see, turn over to, to, judge, to now Joshua chapter 8 and verse 1. Achan has been judged. He has been executed. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. Friend, the first area that we desperately need courage and desperately need to reject fear in is when we are responding to our moral failure. You and I desperately need courage. Why? Because what would have been easy for Israel to do if they weren't trusting the promises of God? We've already lost to Ai once. Can we ever defeat them? Has God left us for good? If we go up there again, are they going to defeat us again? We've tried and we've failed. And God looks at them and says, fear not and do not be dismayed. Why? Because you've already taken care of it. And therefore what? I am with you. Notice what he says. I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. Now, it reminds me of this wonderful passage from the book of Micah. Do you remember this quoted in the Pilgrim's Progress? Micah 7 and verse 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Friend, one of the most essential aspects of your spiritual life is your courage based on the promises of God to get up when you've fallen and start fighting again. What the devil wants to convince you of is that you might as well wallow in it. Once you fall, you might as well just sit in the mud for a while. 
Because guess what? You've, you're already a failure. Just sit in your failure for a little bit longer, whatever your failure is, and God says, get up off your face. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Just because you lost the battle last time doesn't mean you'll lose the battle this time. Get up, get the forces together again, and go fight. Now, this is one of the reasons why whenever we take communion, I try to remind us every week of that one wonderful passage in 1 John 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. What does that mean? His promise can be trusted. That if you fall this week, he will forgive you and bring you back into the battle. If you fall this week, when you confess it humbly before him, you can have instant fellowship with him again. You can be restored to his power in your life to continue on and get victory. What kind of courage is required? To respond to your failures and to get up and continue fighting the battle. Secondly, not just is a circumstance in which we are dealing with failure, but also when it involves maintaining our integrity at great cost. Turn over to Joshua chapter 10, will you? I just want to see another wonderful example where God tells Joshua, don't be afraid. Now, the story of Joshua chapter 10, in, in lieu of reading through all of it, is the story of Gibeon. Do you remember the story of Gibeon where the people, a royal city of the promised land, was very fearful because they heard what, what, what the Israelites had done to Jericho and they said, we're in trouble. So they chose not military strength, but deceit. And so what they did is, even though they were in the neighborhood, so to speak, they got moldy bread and they got old clothing and they walked and pretended like they had come from halfway across the world and they said, we're your way, 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 way out there, people. Look at, look at our clothes. Look at how long our journey took. Look at our bread. It's all moldy now. Can we make a peace treaty? And in Joshua chapter 10, it says that they, the, the people of Israel didn't ask counsel of the Lord the story just seemed to fit. It was a failure of discernment, and they signed a peace treaty with them. Now, of course, they found out that these people were only about 15, maybe, or 20 miles away in the territory that God had given him. It was another failure, a failure of discernment in which Joshua played a key part. So again, that's the context. They have now entered this peace treaty with Gibeon. Now start with me in verse number 1 of chapter 10. Now it came to pass when Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king. And how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore, Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Hoham, king of Hebron, and unto Piram, king of Jarmuth, and unto Japhia, king of Lashish, and unto Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me and help me that we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. So now these kings all come in mass against Gibeon who Israel had come into a peace treaty with. And notice verse 6. 
And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp of Gilgal, saying, Slack not your hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. Now, friends, I want you to stop there for just a moment. What was the covenant that Joshua had made with the Gibeonites? It was, not, it was just simply not to kill them. We won't kill you. And now here the Gibeonites are saying, you have to come fight for us. Again, we've seen a perfect example of this, haven't we, in the war in Ukraine? If Ukraine were in NATO, what would be NATO's covenant responsibility to do, including the United States? Go to war. And so you see this idea, the Gibeonites say, come and rescue us, come and help us, we, we've got a peace treaty. Now, don't you think at that point the people of Israel might have been tempted to say, you deceived us, you lied to us, you, you tricked us into a treaty that is our failure of discernment. Guess what? We are interpreting our obligations narrowly, not broadly. Good luck, guys. Good luck. But interestingly, that's not what Joshua does. Look with me at verse number 7. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not. Why? For I have delivered them into thy hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. Now, if you don't understand the geography of this land, you're not really going to get what is going on here. Where is Gilgal? Gilgal is right just north of Jericho, on the eastern side of the Israelite land, the promised land. It was in the plains of Jericho, below sea level. Guess where they needed to go to get to Gibeon? Up. Do you know it said, I saw different commentators estimate different things, anywhere from between 15 and 25 miles away, going by foot in the middle of the night and going upwards around, I saw it estimated, 3,000 feet in elevation, 3,000 feet in elevation, 15 to 25 miles all night. In other words, this was a really costly battle, a really costly protection of integrity, of their word, of the treaty. In fact, this previous journey that the Israelites took to Gibeon took them more than two days. It says on the third day they got there. And now how did they do it? They went overnight to get there. And what does God say to them? Don't be afraid. Why? For I have delivered them. You're doing what I want you to do when you're undertaking this act of integrity at great cost and sacrifice and expense to yourself and to your comfort and peace. And the simple point I want to make is this. You and I may be called into times where we are fighting other people's battles. This was Gibeon's battle. 
But because now Gibeon and Israel were linked, it was Israel's battle. And even if it required walking all night uphill for 15 to 25 miles, God says, don't be afraid of them because I've delivered them into your hand too. Do you know what's required for courage sometimes? To fight someone else's battle alongside them. What is required for courage sometimes is to stand based on a connection, a covenant, a relationship that God has given you and say, brother or sister, I'll fight alongside you at great cost, at great sacrifice to myself. And God says, don't be afraid. Don't be unstable. Be strong. Be courageous. Why? For I have delivered them into your hand. You see, Jesus was such the perfect example of this. We looked this morning from Mark at his 12 disciples, men of failure, men of weakness, men of personality traits that made them difficult to be around at some time, men of repeated sin sometimes, Peter popping off in all the different ways that he did over and over again, and yet for three years, Jesus patiently walked alongside them at cost to himself and his own comfort and his own stability. Why? Out of love to bear their burdens, to walk alongside and disciple them. I want to encourage you too, if you're going to disciple others, whoever that is, whoever God has brought into relationship with you, sometimes it's going to come at great cost. And God's message to you is be strong. Be very courageous. Don't be afraid. Because I am with you in this battle too. So dealing with failure Maintaining your integrity sometimes by fighting of someone else's battle alongside with them, even at great sacrifice and cost. What is the third? Turn over to Joshua chapter 11, our last example tonight. Joshua chapter 11. Notice with me in verse 1. And it came to pass when Jabin king of Hazor had heard those things that he sent to Jobab king of Madon and to the king of Shimron and to the king of Akshaph and to the kings that were on the north of the mountains and of the plains south of Chinnereth and in the valley and in the borders of Dor on the west and to the Canaanite on the east and on the west and to the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite in the mountains and to the Hivite under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they went out, they and all their hosts with them, much people even as the sand that is upon the seashore in multitude with horses and chariots very many and when all these kings were met together they came and pitched together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel and the Lord said unto Joshua be not afraid because of them for tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel thou shalt hawk their horses and burn their chariots with fire now Where's another time in which you and I are desperately going to need courage? It's when we're seemingly facing massive disadvantages. We're facing a superior obstacle, a superior power. Now, this was true in this situation in Numbers Scripture says they were like the sand on the seashore. All these kingdoms massing together almost as something like a major last stand against Israel. But not only that, notice what it says here in verse number four. They had horses and chariots very many. And you say, why does that matter? Have you ever tried fighting a tank before? 
Horses and chariots were the ancient equivalent of tanks. Why? Because you line up a whole group of horses and a whole group of chariots, some with bars coming out of the wheels and spinning to chop people up, and you send the horses stampeding against people on foot, how are you going to stand in there? Good luck. Horses and chariots were the great military superiority, and Israel didn't have them, and the Canaanites did. And so what is God saying to them? You see this elsewhere in Scripture. Do you remember in the book of Psalms, um, the psalmist says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of our Lord God. What is he saying? Some people rely on military superiority. That was the name of it. Deuteronomy 20 and verse 1, when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And in this battle in which they were completely outnumbered, completely facing a superior force, God's message to them was, don't be afraid. Why? Because they have to go up against me. Because I will deliver them up into your hand. Here's the simple point. You and I are confronted day after day with the world, the flesh, and the devil, our great enemies. You and I are confronted at times in your life when the devil seems simply too overpowering for you to fight against today. When your fleshly desires and your temptations seem simply too much for you to bear. When the temptations and the desires of the world encroaching on your soul are overwhelming you. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be that. Sometimes it can be a circumstance that you are facing, whether that's a medical circumstance, whether that's an employment circumstance, whether that's an insurmountable obstacle in your life, and it seems like an army is beset against you and you have no hope. God's reminder to you is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Why? Because I'm still with you. Because I'm still on your side. Because I will never leave you nor forsake you. How? What is required? Be strong. Be very courageous. Why? Because you grit your teeth? No. Because you get on firm ground. You stand on God's promises. You say, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, I need not fear what man shall do unto me. Because he said, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. And he has made a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Be courageous. Be strong. Don't give in to fear simply by standing on the promises of God. So friends, whether you're dealing with failure that has discouraged you and dismayed you and knocked you flat for the seemingly 100th time, whether you're facing someone else's battle that you're frankly getting sick of fighting alongside their behalf, you're, you're, not, willing, you're not sure you're willing to keep suffering under the cost and sacrifice that they're putting you under, whether you're facing seemingly massive disadvantages spiritually or physically in your own life, remember God's theme for Joshua. Be strong. Be very courageous. Don't be afraid. Because two things. I've already given you your inheritance. You have all the power you need in me to gain all the victory. And number two, I am with you. I will always be with you and I will never fail you. Listen to these wonderful words, these encouraging words from 1 John chapter 5. He says, For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. He's an overcomer. He's a victor. 
Why? And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. You want to walk in courage? You want to walk in victory? You want to walk without fear this week? Stand on the foundation of faith of who God is and what he has promised you in your word. And you'll know what it is to be full of courage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Courage is something we so desperately need. And it's not something that we can drum up in ourselves. It's not artificial boldness. It's a courage that comes only from your promises. From standing firm on your foundation. And so I pray, Father, that tonight you would reveal to us where we've been afraid where we've been discouraged and dismayed. And Father, would you stir in our hearts a fresh faith rooted in your promises that would result in the courage to stand and to continue on in whatever tasks you have put before us. Let's pause for a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You know the circumstances of your life infinitely better than I do. And the Holy Spirit is able to apply this message to your life wherever you need courage in ways that perhaps none of us know, but God does. And tonight, would you just acknowledge where you need deliverance from fear and where you need an infusion of courage and most importantly, then, would you look to the promises of God to anchor yourself, to stand on a firm foundation for the courage that you need this week to do the calling and the task that he has put in front of you. Let's pause for a few moments.